0: not that I wasn't proud of it or I wasn't trying to be someone I'm not, it's just not how it was raised. But now, early 40s, I'm looking back and saying, well, you know, that's okay. I can still fight for people who are underrepresented and I can still talk about all these things that I'm really passionate about.
1: And it doesn't matter if I speak Spanish or not. I'm really proud of being Hispanic and I want that to be almost be the forefront of who I am, where I wanted to fit in and like, I don't want to fit in anymore. I want to be someone that stands out for being heard. Hi, everyone. It's Johanna Gottlieb with Promo Kitchen and also VP of Sales at Access Promotions. Today, we're really excited because we're going to focus on something that is near and dear to my heart, and that's talking about Hispanic Heritage Month. And We have a very special guest, Monica May, who is a senior program manager at Expedia. So for those of you listening, we are recording this on October 19th as the month is wrapped up, and each year, Americans observe National Hispanic Heritage Month from September 15th to October 15th by celebrating histories, cultures, and contributions of American citizens whose ancestors came from Spain, Mexico, the Caribbean, and Central and South America. This started in 1968 as Hispanic Heritage Week under President Lyndon Johnson, and President Reagan, in 1988, decided to cover a 30-day period. September 15th is significant because it is the anniversary of independence for Latin American countries, Costa Rica, El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras, and Nicaragua. In addition, Mexico and Chile celebrate their independencies on September 16th and September 18th, respectively. Also, Columbus Day, or Dia de la Raza, which is October 12th, falls within the 30-day period. And so in getting some information together for this special podcast, I myself learned some fun facts. I learned that California has the largest Hispanic population. There are 1.2 million Hispanics serving in the U.S. Armed Forces. Hispanics are the largest ethnic or race minority in the United States. The projected Hispanic population of United States in 2060 is going to be 119 million and 73.3% of Hispanics five and older speak Spanish at home. That one really actually threw me for a loop. So as many of you know, and many of our listeners, you know that I am Johanna Gottlieb. My last name is Gottlieb. I'm married to a wonderful Jewish man, but I'm actually the daughter of two immigrants. My mother came to the States in the 70s, early, early 70s, and she was born in Cuba. My father came here from Argentina. They met in New York City, and together they had three girls, and they raised us on Long Island, New York. And, you know, I always tell people 40 years ago, being the first generation was just not what it is now. And so we grew up learning Spanish and English at home. My older sister actually went to school speaking Spanish and sort of learned English along the way and helped my parents learn English. And they had three daughters again, and we went to college. We went on to get our master's and really, you know, was the American dream. And so that story is way more common these days. Growing up, it wasn't so common to have a lot of Hispanic people around. So again, when I hear the statistic of 73.3 of Hispanics, five and older speak Spanish at home, that really, really sort of opens my eyes to what's happened over the last few years. That's a little bit about me. I'd love to talk a little bit more about our guests. So, Monica, again, thank you for doing this. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and the industry that you are in?
0: Yes, thank you. It's so great to be here. I am a senior program manager in the travel industry, and I've actually grown my career starting out in the tech industry first. So, I was doing a lot of hardware supply chain support in the past. And throughout that time, It was very interesting to see how being a woman in the room, a Hispanic woman in the room, has changed. At first, I felt like it was very isolating and very intimidating, honestly, especially being young, educated, but not overly educated. I came to the tech industry with a bachelor's degree in the liberal arts field and was really able to grow my career. And I actually attribute a lot of the growth to a lot of my cultural background and how I was raised to engage with people, which is if, you know, Hispanic and Latinx were very friendly, we're very outgoing, we engage and we show a lot of concern for our peers. So I think that type of method that I use to grow my career really leaned on that, honestly. So I've been in this program management type of role for probably about 15 years now, and starting from very entry-level, being able to grow. And then throughout that time, working through ERGs as well, which is employee resource groups, where people tend to look for each other at work and look for people that are representative of their own. So that's definitely one thing that I saw over that time.
1: Awesome. And so in describing your upbringing and how you came to market when you were looking for a job in the workforce. You use the word Latin X. So mm-hmm. let's actually start there because it's a newer word. And I was doing a little reading on that as well. And it seems like the X is just cool, right? People think it's a strong <laughs> word. Latin X just sounds cool. And so it's obviously more than that. Talk to me about what you use that word to describe yourself.
0: Yes. It's actually something I've started using just this year. I actually formally will always identify as a Hispanic female over a Latin or Latin which is. I think, hyper-regional. Not everybody feels that way. And then there's sub that. I actually also identify as a Tejana, which is from Texas. So we're all very nuanced. Like if you go further west, there's Chicana and Chicanos. But Latinx is interesting as well, because that's actually trying to include a younger generation of people who are a little bit more gender fluid and more open to different identifications or identities. And it's so interesting because Spanish as a language is very gendered. You have la and el as your different introduction, like la dama for a woman, el hombre for a man. You know, it's a very masculine, feminine, gendered language. Yet we see this younger generation starting to really try and make it a little bit more androgynous so it's more open and available for everyone to identify with. And that's going in with a lot of movement you see in LGBTQ ERGs, where they're being a lot more inclusive to not just your sexual orientation, but your identification as a person as well. So that's largely where I'm seeing that. I am older. I'm in my 40s. I really started using it this year as I'm working now in the last year with young adults that are 25 and under, and it resonates with them far more. So they've kind of brought me along on that journey with them.
1: You made such a good point there. So I would also say I would identify as a Hispanic woman. I'm 41. And so that's also what I've always identified as. And now Latinx is such a, you know, as you said, a growing term something I'm, I haven't identified as, although I'm desperate to be cool. So maybe I will just because <laughs> it sounds cooler. Yeah. And you're so right. I never really picked up on the language having those la and l, And even I know for myself, when I'm talking to my daughters, I'll say, instead of, agua? I'll add the ita. And there are just so many little moments in the Spanish language that probably should change a little bit more these days.
0: Yeah. And, I don't know how, but I guess this is the first, with the X, it's the first pass. But how do you say it? Like Latinx? I've heard a lot of things. I actually heard somebody tell me the other day Latinetis hmm. instead of Latinx. And maybe that's more accepted as the conjugation, if you're familiar with language, like edis is a conjugation of he, she, it's they.
1: Got it. I would say Latinx, but since I'm probably not using it correctly, I'm probably not the person to ask.
0: <laughs> Neither of us are.
1: <laughs> yeah. So talk to me a little bit about what National Hispanic Heritage Month means to you.
0: Yeah, so this year has actually been really great. And I say that almost ironically because 2020, right? Like everything's been like an uphill battle. But one good thing about this is that it's really been able to, For me, I've actually been able to cross boundaries as far as seeing how other people celebrate it a lot easier than I ever would have. Typically, celebrations that I see are very hyper-localized and people are doing like neighborhood parties, but we just don't have that here. And so this year, we actually saw a big shift to online celebrations, which allowed us to see how other people are celebrating throughout the world a lot easier because we're all trying to get the word out. So I like to consider it more as a celebration and a chance to learn more about other cultures. I learned within a cooking class how to make arepas from Colombia, which I probably wouldn't have done in a traditional year. But, you know, the company had an online cooking class where we were able to source ingredients and get some directional cooking from an employee. And I thought that was just so great to make those connections, especially since this employee was in a completely different Site and state from where I am. So I never would have gotten the chance to connect with her unless we were doing everything virtually. So this year has been a little special, but typically just getting to celebrate other cultures that are Latin, that are, aren't just Mexican cultures or aren't just American cultures or Latin American countries, was great.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, yes, it's been an interesting year. I love that you're saying it's been a really positive year for you because I definitely don't hear that a lot. Yeah. But what a great outtake. And, you're right, virtually for anything, whether it be celebrating Heritage Month or anything, it's been really open to opportunities. I know for us, we're dealing with clients in events who clearly can't have their events in person anymore, but an event that drew a 1,000 people last night could bring in 10,000 people virtually or whatever the number is. Just personally, I know friends and I, we've said we probably wouldn't have had our Zoom parties, our Friday night Zoom parties with our friends from all over the country from college, and we're trying to do things like that and even working out I work out with a group of people every Thursday morning we do like a little ride together a bike ride virtually and there are so many silver lining moments not necessarily tied at all to Hispanic heritage but silver moments in 2020 that I think if people could just take a second to appreciate those it would be so much better a lot of hard things obviously too but lots of silver linings for sure you've talked about this a little bit can you dig a little deeper on how you identify and why yes so at the top levels, I do
0: identify as Hispanic. At the lower level, I identify as Tejano, which I mentioned earlier. And from that, it's actually something that if you're outside of Texas, you've probably never heard. But for me, I was actually born in South Texas by the border in Rio Grande Valley. So when you hear about the border walls, this is the area that's been impacted. My late grandmother and family have land that has been impacted and actually built a fence on it. So it's a very longstanding generational land passing. And we're talking back from like the 1600s, where people came over from Spain, large land grants were given to families, and then gradually was picked off over centuries by, you know, just people, <laughs> people having eminent domain And so a lot of families have been here in Texas for a very long time, and I come from one of those. So oddly enough, though, even with that, and it sounds like, you know, we've been here forever and we have, the borders were actually formed after the family was settled there. But even with that, my mother's first language was still Spanish. So we're talking about The heritage was still very strong. It's a very Tejana culture. It's not quite Mexican and it's not quite American. So I straddle somewhere between there in that line of when I was growing up, I had a hard time figuring out where I came from. And really, you know, here, older, I'm looking back and saying, well, oh, okay, I'm just from Texas. That's all. (laughs) But still very Hispanic. My last name is May, but that's my married name. My maiden name is Ovaya. And yeah, that's basically how I came to be
1: where I am. Thanks for sharing that. Something that we've been talking about lately amongst our community in Promo Kitchen is mental health. And as you know, and as you've pointed out, mental health is often swept aside in Latinx communities. Definitely. Which is probably true for a lot of strong cultures. Yes. Talk to us about how younger generations are pushing back on that and how things are changing.
0: Well, the first thing I want to point out is just going back to that word of Latinx, I feel like that younger generation is pushing that in one way, right? So that's like one example of how they're pushing back and talking about mental health, like your identity of how you are gendered is a big way of identifying and pushing back to their family, how they feel about things. And I think that's one thing that we'll see in generations, like the younger generation is starting to really make their voices heard in that. I've also heard a lot of younger generation try and be very vocal with their family about how therapy isn't a bad thing. I know when I was growing up, it was a little bit taboo to go into therapy or have to see a shrink. And there's actually probably a lot of memes around the internet about how Mexican moms will say, what do you mean you're seeing a therapist? You're not crazy. Hmm. But, you know, there's so much about therapy that we've learned in the last 20 years that Just because you go to therapy doesn't mean you're crazy. It actually means you're trying to get very healthy. So I think this younger generation is a lot more open to hearing about that. They're a lot more open with communication. They are the generation of the internet and open communication and fast communication. And that's helping so much to just push back that mental health is important. And they're really bringing their families along with them on this journey. So it's very impressive to see.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree. That definitely was a mentality for so long. And that was almost like a taboo to have someone in the family that was seeing a therapist. But now I always say everyone needs a therapist. Yeah. And again, speaking of virtually, like so much easier, you don't have to make an appointment and go in person. You can talk to someone through a computer. I know there's a lot of even apps nowadays for mental health and meditation. And there's just so many more things that make it easier for you to both to reach out and get help.
0: Yes, it's so much more accessible.
1: You also mentioned that there's been an evolution of ERGs in the tech industry over the last decade, with increased focus in hiring practices. Tell us a little bit about that.
0: For anyone who hasn't encountered the acronym ERGs are employee resource groups. I'm also hearing them called inclusion and diversity groups or IBGs. Just so if we're asking what an ERG is, it's really the focus that companies are having on creating groups where like-minded or like-cultured employees are able to find each other. So in companies, I've actually been working in these efforts for the last, I guess, probably 12 years where it started. And at first, they really started out as an employee volunteer job. I mean, and it still is, honestly. But now in the last maybe two or three years, I've seen it go to a place where companies are actually hiring directly for these roles. So rather than it just being something that employees do on their volunteer time, they're actually creating formal roles for it, which is fantastic, right? So someone can really dedicate their full time to trying to understand what employees need and how they can identify with each other and really create a community. So that's been really, really positive. And actually kind of along the lines of what we see in the promo kitchen, we've actually seen these ERGs in turn ask their companies to diversify their buying practices. So if we have suppliers that are supplying any goods to us or even coming down the supply chain, we're seeing employees ask with a valid question, how diverse are our suppliers? Are they woman owned? Are they minority owned? How are we going in diversifying our purchasing practices?
1: That's awesome. I know in our industry where we're buying from so many different suppliers, I know I'm on the distributor side. That question has come up so much in our company, and and we're working at a pretty large company. And so a lot of people are doing some research on, especially this time of year, as gift-giving for holidays coming up, and a lot of corporations want to now support minority and diverse businesses more than ever. So I love that this conversation is happening. It wasn't happening a year ago or two years ago, and now it's like, nope, that's a must. We're, We're doing holiday gifts, and that must be supporting the right cause and supporting the right people.
0: Definitely. And I think that's especially important in the time of COVID, where we're seeing so many different smaller businesses hurt. You know, the more we can find employees to help push buying from smaller businesses and more diverse businesses, the more we're going to help out just the general localized
1: economy. And that's very important to hear. Yeah. I know something we're talking about our industry more than ever now, and Promo Kitchen has mentioned this quite a few times, that we need to make our industry more diverse, Do you know if Expedia, like what they're doing to make sure that there is a diverse workforce and how to keep that up and not just make it something that's important today or tomorrow, but for the next months, years to come? Yeah, so
0: I do. I'm a global board member of one of our Latinx BRG, ERG. So I get to thankfully attend a lot of these strategy meetings. And we actually recently hired a chair that's kind of like a C-level, like a CEO, but really it's a Chair of IND, Inclusion and Diversity. And that was like step one. We have somebody way at the top who has a seat at the leadership team who is really going out and investigating and talking about our hiring practices. They've actually also encouraged every employee to take on a diversity goal for themselves every quarter. So it could be something as little as reading a book about what diversity does for the industry, or even as little, I'd say little, but I mean, they're actually pretty big things. <laughs> or identifying yourself as your pronouns. That's another thing where within our email address, they encourage us to put our pronouns and our signatures. Meaning, my name is Monica May, I'm a she, a her, hers, and those are my pronouns. That is encouraged to really foster this inclusion and openness for not only us, but internally to each other and externally as well. So we're all given these options. They recently built out the organization around inclusion diversity to where each group has their own budgets. We each have our own representative in HR that we can go to with any concerns or any suggestions that we have. And that's been probably the most effort I've seen out of a company in the last 18 years, it's been really great
1: over the last two years. Those are some good tips. So I know for our industry, again, over the last few months, many companies, large and small, are working on creating their own you know, D&I boards mm-hmm. and working towards that. And we're all sort of sharing best practices, the pronouns and using more of that. So we feel like we're showing people that we are wanting to build more diversity in our industry because it's something that we've all said as a whole over the last few years, there's just a lot of people look the same and it has to change and the change starts now. Yes, Definitely. So you had said that, in your opinion, Gen X has played a major role in helping make cultural shifts in the workforce. Talk to us a little bit about that.
0: Gen X has been, they probably did the hardest work of breaking into the field. I'd say they're probably the first generation who went in and were facing the corporations that were previously traditionally white, cisgendered, male MBA students. And I think in that Gen X generation, you saw a lot more women of color, women in general, start to break into leadership roles. And really, not only that, but start promoting each other, which was huge. So I know in the last decade, and I'm kind of at the tail end of Gen X, maybe beginning of millennials, I think that's what 40, 41-year-olds are these days. (laughs) But, you know, I remember sitting and watching them do that and thinking, wow, this is great. Like, this is laying the work for the type of role that I will be open up to. And here, you know, 10, 15 years later, it has come to fruition. I feel like I am a product of the hard work that the older Gen Xers did. And then now we have, you know, this little millennial suit that kind of gets a bad rap, but really they're older than we think they are. And, you know, I'm kind of including myself in there as well. But then there's Gen Z, which is just directly after that. And I feel like they've got a great advantage and they've learned to use their voice in ways that I did not. And I'm always so impressed with my younger colleagues who are coming up and able to speak very articulately. They're very well educated and they've really worked very hard and have been brought up by actually a lot of Gen Xers to speak their mind to feel open and we're really about to start seeing that next wave come in. So I'm very excited actually to see how that goes.
1: I totally agree with you. I feel like millennials get such a bad rap. And I know I've worked with many millennials and I feel like they're motivated in different ways, hardworking, can do things differently on the tech side, teaching us. I mean, certainly in my early 40s, I'm not ancient at all, but I'm, you know, adapting to new technology, different platforms to use where Obviously someone younger than me can pick it up way quicker. I feel like we're in an advantage by having someone, you know, a little bit younger than us teaching us these things. And I love that. And yeah, Gen Z is more of an opportunity for them. It's not just the language you speak or how you look. It's just about total cultural shifts in the workforce. And these are the people that are really using social to use their voice, right? So I might be connected with you and then on your social and really see how you feel about things and how you post and what you're reposting and what you're sharing and learning and That just wasn't happening for our generations. And just because we didn't have those tools. And now these people want to get, like you said, they want their voice to be heard. They're proud of what they believe in, whether it's politics or whether it's something about national, you know, Hispanic heritage month. And so kudos to them. They're doing such a good job of making their voice heard. And for me, I know in my industry, I've been in our industry almost 15 years. And I still say from this day, if you want your voice to be heard, you have to be heard. And if you don't, then no one's going to listen to your ideas and you can't really complain if you're not going to speak up. And right. I, mean, I really did from the start. And I really am thankful I did that, you know, going back to how I grew up again, I grew up in a time where not everyone around me was Hispanic. Right. And so I wanted to be like everybody else. And I was certainly super proud of my parents and how hard they worked, but I wanted to be like everyone else, just like every other kid. And now I'm at a point in my life where I'm 41 and I'm really proud of the woman that I am and really proud of being Hispanic. And I want that to be almost be at the forefront of who I am, where I wanted to fit in. And like, I don't want to fit in anymore. I want to be someone that stands out for being heard.
0: I totally agree. Like I didn't grow up speaking Spanish, even though I said earlier, my parents' first language was Spanish. My dad actually went to segregated schools growing up and in Texas, that was an extremely negative thing. So growing up when, I was young, I was actually raised not speaking Spanish. Intentionally, mostly because the environment of how it was in South Texas in the 80s, we were grown up to be very homogenized. It was interesting because the area is 98% Hispanic, but you'll see a lot of us growing up without speaking Spanish at all. And for a long time, I was so embarrassed about that. Like I was in these ERGs and I was trying to really make a difference for younger generations because mentorship and representation is so important, right? Like I just look back and I think, wow, I wish I had had that mentorship. So I was trying to do that. But I also felt really awkward because some of my mentors and some of the older people were like, well, you don't speak Spanish. So you, you know, stop trying not to pretend to be Mexican. And I was like, dude, like I'm not trying to pretend. I just wasn't raised doing it. Like be nice. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it's not that I wasn't proud of it, or I wasn't trying to be someone I'm not, it's just not how it was raised. But now, early 40s, I'm looking back and saying, well, you know, that's okay, I can still fight for people who are underrepresented. And I can still talk about all these things that I'm really passionate about. And it doesn't matter if I speak Spanish or not. It's fine.
1: Yeah, it is. It's fine. Yeah, you do you, Bill. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) And if we want to find you or reach out to you, can we find you on LinkedIn? Is there anything you want to, any shout outs you want to give?
0: Nope. You can definitely find me on LinkedIn. I'm there at Monica May, Senior Program Manager in Austin, Texas. Happy to connect.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you for your time. Anytime.
0: Thanks again for listening to this edition of the Promo Kitchen Podcast. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe to the podcast through iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, you can always get involved in the Promo Kitchen community by visiting us at promokitchen.org. You can also show your support by donating to our cause at promokitchen.org donate. We would sincerely appreciate it. See you next time. Thank you.